let's talk about uh, Shepherd's Conference first. Okay. Um, if you look on your calendar, um, you'll see that we put a, a couple of different conferences throughout the year um, on there for you to take a peek at, to be aware of. The first one, one of them, the first one's already come and gone. That's the men's conference we did um, over with Northwest Community, where Rick Holland came out and spoke. Um, the the other one, the main one, is the Shepherds Conference, which takes place in March, uh, March 6th through the 10th. Now. <clears throat> March 6th through the 10th is a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. The, the main days of the conference are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, it starts about 10 o'clock in the morning with the first session or 10.30 or something like that, I forget. And um, the cost of the conference is $300. You get immediately back in your when you show up, you get a $50 gift card to their bookstores that so it's really like 250 and then all of the other free stuff you get I mean the, you walk away with a bag of books like this probably 30 books so I, I think you know yeah it, it's 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 not a cheap conference but you you walk away having gained so much and um, with Christmas right around the corner what a great gift to ask for from your family, or at least, uh, you know, take some of, if you do get some money, just if you want to really be blessed and travel with a bunch of other guys from church and spend some days um, over in California, um, it's a it's a great time together. Um, speakers are MacArthur, of course, um, Al Mohler, Steve Lawson, and they've got R.C. Sproul this year. Um it's probably good if you've never heard RC. You should probably go hear him. You may not have a whole lot of other opportunities. Um, these these men are are giants um, in our day, and and but they're 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 getting old, and so these are great opportunities to go and um, hear them one more time. Uh, Phil Johnson and Tom Pennington will also be speaking. Um, if you are able to, we, we do it a lot of different ways. Some guys go over on Tuesday um, afternoon, evening, get there that night um, so they don't have to drive the next morning. The drawback of that is that's another night of hotel costs. Um, several people leave, just get up really early <clears throat> here um, on Wednesday morning and drive. And you can get there because of the time change. If you leave by 5, you can, um, I think, get there. Isn't that right? Guys, if we leave like, yeah, yeah, you'll get there close to when it starts. Uh, your first day is a long day, then, um, but um, it can be done, and, and several do that. Many people drive back just Friday night um, because they don't want to uh, spend another night in a hotel, so they'll just drive back sometime on Friday afternoon or evening. Um, so there's ways to cut your costs um, if you need to want to, but we just want to put that in front of you now <clears throat> so you can begin to start thinking about it, and really just about every Saturday that we have billed from here on till then, we'll be putting that in front of you guys. Uh, just wanting you to consider that. Um, it is so encouraging to go. That, like You're, you're going to be blessed by what you hear being taught. There's all kinds of breakout sessions to go to that um, cut across the, the, the local church, church ministry spectrum that you want to go to. Um, but what you're going to get the most out of it, I think, is just the, just the great fellowship with each other that we have when we go. It is really, really enjoyable.
Um, so I uh, just want to put that in front of you. If you if you um, would like to be able to do that, but you're not sure financially you could pull it off, um, please come and talk to me or any of the elders because we would love to um, consider if there's a way that we can help you think creatively about getting there. Um, it does obviously require you to take some time off, most likely from work. Um, so, uh, But we would love to, if there's a way that we can help you think creatively, um, if, if you thought you could do it and, and get things taken care of over six months of time, uh, we can be flexible with that. If, if, if you just need some scholarship help, we'd be interested in helping you with that as well. Okay? So please consider it and uh, feel free to talk to any one of us. Okay? All right. Yes, Brian. Say about it? I wish you would. As long as it's positive. I, uh, I'm just yeah, kidding. I, the first year I wasn't sure about going to work and about being a lot, and I went the next year and I was so blessed by it. So I encourage you guys to get you know, it's tough for me to get there and do it. Like, it's just awesome to be there. The fellowship, the whole. Mm-hmm. I've gone back the past couple years and go back this year. It's just really encouraging. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. It's worth the sacrifice. Yeah. All right. Um, hey, take your um, take your notebooks, turn them over. Let's look at our, our disciplines that we're trying to orient our lives around. I'm going to cover the first three kind of in one blob. Okay? The heart, the home, and the ministry. Um you're, there, there's an order of priority, of, of, of weight. You, you want to always be coming back to shepherding your heart first and foremost, above all things. Um, everything flows out of that, that you'll do from there on. Uh, but you never graduate from shepherding your heart and then move on to now I'll take care of the people in my household that I live with. And then you graduate from that and then you step into ministry um, like you're, like you never go back to first grade, you never go back to second grade. Um, you know, once you've hit third grade, it's not that way at all for us. So, um, the heart, the home, and the ministry. Don't leapfrog over any of those. Um, bring your heart before the Word of God for the primary purpose of meeting with God for worship, to enjoy Him, to delight in Him, to fear Him, to know Him, to grow your relationship with Him. Um, all of those things. That's what you're doing. You're you're conduct, you're you're you're, uh, you're participating in a relationship, and the place that God has revealed Himself most clearly to you is in His Word, and so that's where you want to go. The best that you can have of God right now is through His Word, and so you, as a new creature in Christ, with new desires and a love for Him that He gave to you because He loved you first, you love Him back. Uh, with your Bible in your hand, right? Um, reading, praying as your Bible's open. That kind of a man stepping into his home is going to transform his home. The people that he lives with, roommates, that kind of a young man is going to transform his parents and his siblings. Um, a grandparent like that stepping into his home, a grandpa, is going to change his wife and grandkids and anybody who comes in. You, want, you need to be that kind of a man. That kind of a person who's shepherding his heart and his home is being impacted like that is the most effective tool for the gospel ministry known on earth. Okay? The man who leapfrogs over his heart and his family to get to ministry is the most dangerous tool in this earth for gospel ministry. 
Okay, So that's why we say there's a priority, but you never graduate from it. And there will be times when you'll have to go step out and minister to people, and you wish you had maybe some more time to reconcile some things at home that need to be reconciled. Um, but you, the overall tenor of your life is you care for your soul, you care for those in your home, and then you step out with gospel ministry. Okay. Discipline four is about the, the qualifications for deacons. Uh, we're going to put those in front of you shortly in the new year. Start taking a look at those on um, in February, right before we go to Shepherd's Conference. Um, discipline five is on the hermeneutic, how we want to interpret our Bibles, read our Bibles. Um, discipline six is all about um, the biblical vision and the gospel purpose of Grace Bible Church. Um, these disciplines need to be aligned and uh, put in alignment with what this church, where this church is going and and what this church believes about scripture, and what this church believes about gospel ministry, we're taking our, our discipline with these spiritual leadership disciplines, and we're putting them on this ship, not a different ship, but this one. Lord willing, these disciplines would work any on any ship, on any church, in any church, but uh, we're at Grace Bible Church, right? All right, so with that in mind, I want you now to turn to Psalm 119, because... How many of you are going to be able to take some, um, some days off or just things slow down once Christmas hits? You guys able to spend a little bit more time at home? Okay, three of you are. That's really encouraging. Four. Five. Not much time. Not like you've got weeks off, but, you know, but you've got some days off. You're going to be able to slow down if you're looking forward to that. Maybe an extra hour a day. Great. In that one hour a day that Jeff has... Um, this is what we want Jeff to do. That is, that's a significant portion. That's one eighth of the. <laughs> that's good. Here's what I I am. Um, I realize this for myself, and I, I never I never seem to remember this like I should. Um, I can remember when I was. Um, I, I don't think I vacation very well. I don't think I rest very well. I tend to go really hard. <sighs> And then I kind of collapse about three weeks before my vacation starts, and I stumble through whatever remaining responsibilities are left, leaving a wreckage everywhere I go, and then I go, they rest. Okay, I, you need to know yourself well to know what you need so that you can anticipate better um, what you need. But I can remember one time being on vacation in California, thinking, um, thinking back through the last few years prior to that of what resting looked like for me, and coming to the conclusion that after vacation, a lot of times I, I didn't feel any more rested. I, I felt still kind of unsettled. Um, and um, it wasn't until I, I was reading through Psalm 119 and started noticing um, some repetitive phrases that I, I started re- recognizing what I needed um, for rest and for revival. Okay, um, Look at some of these verses with me. Psalm 119, verse 25. I'm just going to read through them with you, a bunch of them, and then we'll talk about the implications from it. Psalm 119, verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. How about verse 50? This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. Verse 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have revived me. You see a pattern? 
verse 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. 116. Sustain me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uh, 149. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness. Revive me, O Lord, according to your ordinances. 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. And verse 156. Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Now, having read through that list, if you've got some time off and you're feeling weary, tell me what you should do based on what you know from this that is going to bring you the kind of spiritual rest you need. What? Do not vacation from the Word of God, guys, on your break. Any rest that you have, even in your weekly rhythm of resting, your day off or whatever, do not take a day off from the Bible because the way that your soul and the way that you are revived comes best through the Word. Now, you need physical rest, and you should do that. But this is talking about a reviving that goes beyond the physical. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, So know thyself. Know yourself, what you need, and know that what your soul needs more than anything is to be revived by God's word. Okay, use your time off well this this uh, over this break coming up, and um, you'll be blessed. We're continuing to work our way through um, discipline two. We've got this Saturday and our first Saturday um, in 2013. We'll be on the home. Um, today we'll focus on. Um, what we are to be as men who are to love our wives like uh, Christ loved the church. And then in January, we'll look at um, the role that God has uh, for women in the home. And uh, you may think that's strange to do for guys to study, but if the gospel has made your wife to fulfill a certain role in your home, Um, and you don't know what that is as a man, you could actually be found to be working against what God wants to accomplish in your wife, in your home. And so one of the ways that you can shepherd your home well is by knowing the roles that God has. We could do do one for children. You know, what's the role of children in a home? It would be good for you as a dad to know what God's role for your children is so that you can be found... Uh, as, a, as a, a helpful tool in his hands to help them become what he intends them to become. Same thing for a wife. And I know um, there are many of you, of you in here who are not married. And um, if you saw my email yesterday, um, you know, if, if you're into, and I know for some of you, your intent is, is you don't want to be married. And that's great. And God would love for you to be praying for your brothers who are married and who do want to be married. Um, We need you praying for us. Um, And so if this helps you understand um, what we're to be doing, if you're one who's never someday, you know, anticipating being married, um, please pray for us. Walk with us in that sense. And those of you who are not yet married, but you want to be, um, this will be... um, 
if you can start thinking about these things now and, and aiming um, on being this kind of a man now by God's grace before you get to the altar, uh, that's all the better for you. Um, and obviously for all of us who are currently married, uh, this is a great opportunity for us to humble ourselves under God's word and uh, to be encouraged by it, to be challenged by it. And um, there's a lot of practical things in here. There's um, a lot of things in here today that are that come from, um, um, you know, maybe an angle that I see. Um, and so I, I don't want to set those things that are from my angle that I see up as authoritative and binding over you, but just as encouragement, as um, if it helps you to think of what your marriage looks like from your angle in a new light, praise God, uh, we'll do that. But um, as we get ready to look at Ephesians 5, let's pray. Let's ask God to um, bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage, Lord. It is, it is so deep and it is so rich. All right, we'll try that. All right, so a husband's love, first of all, is to be Christ-centered. Um, look, notice with me, we'll start at verse 22 and then we'll read down to verse 25. He begins with the wives, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord, literally. And he's carrying over the implied verb from verse 21. Um, so be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And here we are, husbands, love your wives. Now, here's what your love is to be compared to. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's, there's what love is. Love is giving yourself up for someone. Self-giving, self-sacrificing love. So, the husband love is to bear the marks, um, the characteristics of Jesus' love for the church. Jesus' love for the church was a self-giving love, a self-emptying love, a self-sacrificing love. And um, that was obviously most clearly seen in Jesus' death at the cross where he poured himself out in love. Um, that's the place where his love shines in all of its glory most radiantly. Um, and therefore, you can understand from this that your Christ-centered love is going to actually bear, therefore be a very costly love to you. It's going to cost you to love your wife in a Christ-centered way. It cost Christ his life to love us, did it not? And you cannot think that marriage is going to be a piece of cake for you. It's going to be very costly. It's costly for me. It's costly for you. Um, so, the way uh, one of the best things you, here's here's another really practical implication of just wanting to rehearse the gospel to yourself on a daily basis. Here, here's another benefit: as you understand and you think more about how and what Jesus did at the cross in love to save you, that actually can become fuel for your fire uh, to love your wife. Um, if you don't study the love of Christ for you at the cross, you're going to be potentially um, handicapped in your love for your wife because you need to love your wife as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. So study how Christ loved you and gave himself up for you. Um, look back at Ephesians 5, verse 2. 
Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. I love Galatians 2.20. Paul is very personal there. Um, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Not saying loved us, it's true. He does love us as Christians, but um, he loved me and he gave himself up for me. Same language, love and gave himself up for me. So focus on Christ's love for us corporately. Focus on Christ's love for you personally. It becomes fuel for your love um, for your wife um, in the same way. Secondly, a husband's love for his wife is to be God-centered. Number two, God-centered as opposed to husband-centered or even wife-centered. Your love for your wife is to be God-centered as opposed to husband-centered or wife-centered. You say, well, what's the difference between that and being Christ-centered? Um, I think I'm really trying to draw more of a distinction from the broader context here uh, between loving our wives in a husband-centered way. If you do nothing, guys, you will love your wife the way with you primarily in mind. That's just what we do. We love people as, because of our indwelling sin, we love people primarily thinking of ourselves. Okay? Um, and you don't want your wife to walk away from an expression of your love for her primarily with you in mind. If you love her with some kind of amazing expression, in all honesty, you don't want her to walk away thinking primarily of you. Okay? Um, the one who benefits most by our love for them that's husband-centered is, is ourselves. We benefit most from that. Um, so, what do you want? Who do you want your wife to be thinking of most after you have loved her with an expression of love? Who should be on her mind most when we finish loving our wives? What's the right answer? Christ. Not me. You know, Will there be appreciation for whatever it was uniquely that only I could do for my wife? I'm sure. Um, so don't worry about that. It's not like she's never going to think of you as you love her with a Christ-centered love. Um, but she should walk away impressed with your Savior, her Savior, most. Now, there can be um, an interesting choice of correction if you've noticed that you've, you know, yeah, I don't want to love my wife with a husband-centered wife. A natural... Um, Perhaps correction to make would be, I'll love her with a wife-centered love. That's it. I'll put, I'll put her at the center and I'll love her. Well, you don't want her to walk away with after you've expressed love to her, thinking having her think primarily of herself either. Do you? Um, you know, so loving your wife is not ultimately about you and it's not ultimately about your wants. And it could also be said at another level that loving your wife is not... Um, ultimately about what she wants either. Um, Ephesians 5 doesn't encourage us to primarily love our wives with them in mind. Ephesians 5 encourages you to love your wife primarily with Christ in mind. Do you guys understand that? Now obviously you're thinking of your wife, you're, you're considering her needs, you're studying her so that you can love her, but even then it's not a wife-centered love. 
It's not a wife-exalting love. It's a Jesus-exalting love. And your wife needs to walk away after you have expressed love to her, not impressed by you, not impressed with herself, but impressed with Jesus Christ. And so you may think, well, I, think that's an, I just think that's an important distinction to be thinking about. Uh, it'll make all the difference in your love for your wife. Um, when is your wife truly loved best by you? You want your wife to feel loved, no doubt. But when is she truly loved best? It's when you have loved her with Christ in mind. It's not when you have loved her with her in mind primarily. It's when you have, because what's best for your wife? That you would love her with a Christ-centered love, right? Let me give you another illustration um, on the on the parenting side. There can be... Um, um, I think the natural default in parenting is, uh, without giving any thought to it, is to do child-centered parenting. The child becomes the center of your thought, and that's just what you do. Well, many Christians have made the correction to, oh, it can't be that. Scripture doesn't do that. And and they can make a a correction that becomes parent-centered parenting. And I would suggest that that falls woefully short also. Because again, ask yourself the question: When you have done parenting, when you're done parenting your child, who do you want them thinking of most? Themselves, you, or Jesus? So even in our parenting, we want to be Jesus-centered in our parenting. I understand I have authority that only God has given to me as a dad over my children. They will be influenced by that, but I don't want them walking away feeling like they have been sitting in the shadows of my towering authority as dad. I want them to be thinking of the towering authority of God over me. Right? Nick. Does that look like practically to, have, to love your wife um, in a way to where she walks away not being mainly impressed with you? Does that look like practically? Yeah. I think we'll probably... I think we'll probably get to some of that in a, in a little bit here, um, but I'll open it up to any of you guys. You guys have a thought or an example that comes to mind from your own experience, um, um, your own practice.
was a good. Um, I like that. Inject the word of God into everything and anything. Um, one of the ways that your wife has an opportunity to walk away from interaction with you more aware of Jesus than anything is especially when um, she has sinned against you or offended you. Um, I hope someday I'll learn this. But I have an, I, I have the gift of making her feel me and my offense so easily. <laughs> And so she walks away after my, uh, of, of either, you know, sinning against me or, or for even forgetting something that I, I, I needed her to do and, and she forgot about it. I, I can make her feel my weight when instead she needs to be much more aware of, of, of Jesus. Um, his forgiveness for her, his grace and his compassion towards her. Um, I need to be an instrument that amplifies that for her. Um, so it's going to happen in ways that are um, can be really difficult. But um, anyway, we'll get to some more of those examples as well. Okay. Um, let's talk about number three. A husband's love for his wife is to be holiness promoting. Holiness promoting. Verses 26 and 27. Okay. Now notice verse 26. It's a so that statement. Um, that means you've got to look back at verse 25. Now, verse 25 started with husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And then he went into the just as section. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he, who's the he? Is it you? It's Christ. So he's still talking about Christ. Okay, now we're ready for verse 26. So that he, Jesus, might sanctify her. Who's her? The church. Having cleansed her. Who's her? The church. By the washing of the water with the word. Verse 27. That he, Jesus, might present to himself. Who's himself? Jesus. The church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, the church, would be holy and blameless. Why would Paul run for two verses after... I mean, he just, he just got one little simple command out. Husbands, love your wives. And then he spent the rest of verse 25, all of 26, and all of 27 talking about Jesus and the church. Um, what's, what's going on in his mind? What are we supposed to take away from that? The main idea still is husbands, love your wives. But he puts such an emphasis on the impact of Jesus' sacrificial love for the church and the, the impact that it gave to the church, primarily that of holiness, that she was set apart, she was sanctified, that the implication, I think, for the husband here is that the husband is to be concerned for the wife's holiness. Love your wife. And are you concerned for her holiness of life? Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you, that's about as far as I'm comfortable with what's being said here. And I'm going to probably introduce some more ideas to you. You're going you're gonna to unfortunately see me wage a battle in my mind, and I have no idea who the, the target is, but you're just going to watch it for a second, okay? So I'm sorry you're going to engage, be engaged in this. But um, the main idea is that 
the husband should be concerned for the wife's holiness. So your love is you want to promote the holiness of your wife. Um, Here's some specific points that I think need to be avoided that I hear Christians oftentimes use this passage for. Here's a direct, uh, or here's what I think should be avoided, that you have the direct role of sanctifying your bride so that he might sanctify her. Application, the husband sanctifies the wife. I think you should avoid that. Uh, We'll talk why. Um, Having cleansed her, um, I think it is right for you to avoid the thinking that you cleanse your wife. That he might present, uh, I'm sorry, washing her with the water of the word. I think you should avoid the direct idea that you are to wash your wife with the water of the word. Okay, we're going to talk about this more, so don't don't panic quite yet. Um, what, what's real interesting with, with guys who, who go with this, I, I'm just sanctifying my bride, I'm cleansing her, I'm washing her with the water of the word, is... I want to say, well, then why did you stop at verse 26? Why don't you go on to verse 27 and you tell me how weird that gets? What are you doing? Well, I'm going to present my wife to myself um, in all of her glory. You see, it's, it's an arbitrary approach to Ephesians 5:26 because it stops at verse 26. Um, there's books that are written that include this in their title, Washing my, Your Wife with the Water of the Word. Look, I understand what they're saying. And theologically, should you help bring the Word of God to bear on your wife? Yeah, please. Absolutely. That's not what this is saying. Do you understand? Um, your Christ-centered love, indeed, I'm going to repeat this again. Your Christ-centered love indeed is going to make some kind of a holiness impact on your wife. You should be a man who's concerned for the holiness of your bride because Jesus is concerned for the holiness of his bride. And um, I think by analogy, there's something there for you. What I want to encourage you with is to avoid direct details, putting yourself in the direct details. Um, If you just stay in the context, and we already pointed this out, who's the he? It's not you. It's Jesus. And who's the her? It's not your wife. It's the church. So what is Paul teaching us here, even though he started with a command for husbands? What is he teaching us? What Jesus did for the church, right? So on the basis of that alone, it would be unwise to make the he you and your wife the her. Okay? Now, uh, just on the basis of some other things, um, let, let me let me take you to some different um, passages. Go to Mark chapter seven. Let's talk about the idea of cleansing for just a moment. Mark chapter seven. What I am what I am not trying to say at all is that is that I want to be clear what I'm not saying. I am not saying you shouldn't be concerned for your wife's holiness. There should be nobody more concerned for your bride's holiness than you. Okay? But what what are we trying to avoid? 
the idea of thinking that you are directly the one sanctifying your, your bride, washing her, cleansing her. Okay, Mark 7, verse 4. Um, Jesus is teaching on uh, the Pharisees, what they do. They, when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And by the way, even though the Pharisees are doing this and they were, it was a perversion, um, this is not an, an unbiblical Old Testament idea. You were to cleanse yourself uh, according to Levitical law, right? So here's cleansing yourself. They were cleansing themselves. Um, go to 2 Corinthians 7. Pharisees and Jews cleanse themselves ceremonially after being in the market. That's what we just saw. Go to 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We cleanse ourselves from all defilement and of the flesh and the spirit. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Paul says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Okay? Um, so you cleanse yourself. How about James chapter 4, verse 8? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Um, so we are to cleanse our, ourselves in that sense. But nothing... Um, here anywhere on one believer called to sanctify another. And you may say, ah, but what about 1 Corinthians 7? Um, you can look there. You remember that? The unbelieving spouse is sanctified, right? Let's look at that and make sure we understand what is being said there. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. What is, what is Paul's point there? Paul's point there is that a believing spouse um, becomes somehow a tool through which the unbelieving spouse um, has a better position before the gospel than an unbelieving spouse who's married to an unbelieving spouse. Right? The believing spouse brings a, a platform that positions the unbelieving spouse nearer the gospel. Um, Ephesians 5 isn't anywhere near that kind of idea. Right? Gus? So the, the word sanctification there is being used like in, a, in, in a theological sense as much as like... Yeah, I don't... I, how could it? Because it's, it's an unbelieving spouse. So how does an unbelieving spouse get sanctified? in the theological way that we understand it. There's no way it can be. So um, uh, so e even the context itself, back if you go back to Ephesians 5, the context itself doesn't allow you to make the application directly to yourself. But even then, just as you do a survey through Scripture of, of the idea of cleansing and being sanctified, there's no teaching anywhere that one believer actually sanctifies another believer. Does God use other believers to help sanctify me? Absolutely. But that's not what's being taught um, uh, in this sense in, in Ephesians 5. Um, so just be careful with 
how you talk about that from Ephesians 5. Um, be concerned for your wife's holiness and your love somehow for her in a self-sacrificing way, uh, there will be a, a benefit she will receive in purity and in holiness from that, I'm sure. Um, but I don't think that's Paul's point to teach specifically everything else that Jesus did with the church automatically is true for you. Um, if you go with a one-to-one direct correspondence that whatever Jesus did, I must do, you're going to enter a you're going to end up in some very untheological places, especially when you get to verse 27. Um, so um, love your wife with her growth in holiness in mind. Do you understand that? You need to be concerned for your wife's holiness. Um, but go about her holiness in the way that the rest of the New Testament teaches. Okay? Now, does that leave anybody's apple cart really upturned in a way um, or are we okay any questions you may just be like I have no idea what you just did and that's okay (laughs) I got it off my chest and so I feel better so (laughs) number four your love for your wife needs to be nurturing concern verses 28 down to 30 nurturing concern look what he says so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies Um, He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church. Because, why does Christ cherish the church? Why does Christ nourish the church? Well, because we're members of his body. And he loves his body. Love your wife. This is really shocking. Check this out. Look at the end of verse 28. He who loves his own wife loves himself. I mean, you've got two parallel things being stated, stated there. Um, loves himself. I don't want to make it capitalized. Loves himself. Dot dot dot. Loves his wife. What is Paul saying? Somehow, some way, and the only the way that God can do it, in marriage, the two shall become one flesh. And what does she become? She's your body in marriage. And the principle is true that you don't just go out purposely with your physical body and just wreck it. You try to preserve it. You try to take care of it. When it gets hurt, you protect it. You try to keep it from getting protected. You don't throw broken glass down on the ground, take your shoes off, and walk over it. You love your body. Nobody had to teach you that. It just is built in. Right? Now, in marriage, she becomes your wife. So nourish your wife. Cherish her like you do your body. And then he uses the example of Jesus. Just as Christ also does the church. We're members of his body. So your, your love for your wife needs to be um, a nurturing, nourishing, cherishing love for her. Um, just like your body, you don't like your body to feel dissatisfaction. You don't like your body to feel emptiness. You don't like your body to feel hunger or pain or want if you can help it. In the same way then... Make sure your wife doesn't feel dissatisfaction with you because of you. Hunger, emptiness, pain. Your wife should experience fullness from you like you take care of your body. Your body, you 
You like to keep your body in a place of fullness. Satisfaction. Not neglected, not deprived. Your wife should feel full, not deprived in your marriage. She should feel satisfied, not neglected in your marriage, right? Um, And we're talking obviously spiritually full, spiritually satisfied, spiritually not neglected. Um, A woman of God feels nurtured and cherished by that kind of a man. Um, Why does she feel that way? Because you are treating her as if she's you. She is you somehow. Um, It's amazing. Uh, You can go back and listen to our messages we did through Ephesians 5 uh, when we were going through Ephesians if you want to get some more in-depth on that. How about number 5? We'll we'll jump back up to verse 23. But your love for your wife um, is to be husband-initiated. And this is found in her instruction, actually, um, that, that Paul gives to the woman. Verse 23, the explanation for her to be submissive is because the husband is the head of the wife. Um, like Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Christ took the initiative, right? Christ took the initiative to save believers. Uh, He is the head. He did that for his body. Um, And in the same way, you are to be the head of the wife. You are to take the initiative in the relationship because you're the head. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but our propensity in marriage is really to function just about as any other body part first rather than the head okay the head leads the head gives direction the head um, provides guidance and leadership the head leads and all of the other parts follow that's a body that's working rightly right a physical body that's working rightly Um, so when the head is functioning properly it doesn't lead the body parts into danger when the head's thinking rightly. It doesn't lead the body parts into danger. It doesn't bring abuse to the body. Um, The head leads and it loves in a protective way um, and the rest of the body follows and benefits from that. Um, And no one else in your wife's life has that unique role except for you. Nobody else has that role for your wife. Um, Her church doesn't serve that role in her life. Your small group doesn't serve that role as head for your wife um, your elders do not serve that role for your wife your dad does not serve that role for her life her dad does not serve that role in her life your kids do not serve that role in your life it's interesting if you watch yourself you'll be very interested to let at, at times you'll be tempted to let other people function like a head for your wife rather than you And that's your job, okay, and yours alone. So you need to have a husband-initiated role. Take the lead, okay? Let's talk about number two. This kind of love then requires um, study. Number one, first thing you could study, study where God desires your wife to be, okay? So there's your blank. Study where God desires your wife to be. Um, Some questions for you to think about. Um, What does scripture say about where God wants your wife to be just as a daughter of God, just as a a child of God? What what do the scriptures say about where God wants her to be as a godly woman? You need to know that. You need to know what God's expectations are for his kids. And you want that for your wife. So you need to study 
what God wants for your wife, spiritually speaking. Another question, as, just as a Christian woman, so we talked about her just in general. She's a, she's a Christian, um, she's just a, 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 a child of God, a Christian, but she's a Christian woman, okay, with a biblical role in your home. And you need to know what scripture says about that for her. So you need to study, all this falls under the guidelines of, of, you need to know what God wants for her. What does God want for his children in general? What does God want for children who happen to be women, who happen to be married and be mothers? You need to know what God's word says about that. And that's what Titus 2 will be about when we study that. So as a wife, what does scripture call her to be? As a mother, what does scripture call her to be? Guys, you need to know that so that um, you don't want by your ignorance or your naivety to have to be an obstruction to what God actually wants for her, but you just don't know what it is that God wants. You need to know these things, what he wants for her, okay? So you study where God desires your wife to be. Secondly, then, you study where your wife currently is. Then you study where your wife currently is, right? Um, remember that your wife is on a journey. She's in process, right? Just like you don't want people to... I'll speak for myself. I don't want people to conclude that anything other than except that I'm in a process too. Don't forget, be patient with me. I'm still in a process, right? Approach your wife the same way. She's still in a process. She's on a journey. And, and just like where God desires me to be as a Christian man, where I'm currently at is not quite there, right? Forever, the rest of our lives, we're closing the gap on, on where we are currently and where God wants us to be. And we want people to approach us in a gracious, participative way that helps us get there, right? You need to recognize that with your wife too. Don't expect perfection from her, that she should just know what God wants of her and she should just be there, you mean kind of like how you are? Well, not. <laughs> right? Um, so go back to those same categories. Where's your wife just as a Christian? You need to study your wife to know where she's just at as a, as a child of God. Do you know where she's at, spiritually speaking, just in general? And then where is your wife currently as, as a Christian woman in her role in the home? Do, do you know where she's at in regards to her role specifically there? Um, as a wife and a mother. So again, your Christ-centered love for your um, wife as a husband, it's going to help you recognize that your wife is under a transformation process. Right? She is in the process of being transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And, and so your loving leadership, your self-sacrificing leadership needs to help her get there. And that's going to require that you study. You're going to need to study what God says about where your wife must be. And then you're going to need to study where your wife currently is. And with self-sacrificing love, help her to get there. Okay? Thirdly. And by the way, one of the best ways you're going to find out where your wife is, is just ask her questions. Don't sit back there and just make assumptions about what you've observed. Ask her. But pray first, okay? And then ask her, because you may be shocked what you're going to hear, okay? You'll need to be ready for what you hear from her. Um, number three, this kind of love requires planning, okay? Uh, two things here. Number one, don't be fooled. 
don't be fooled, guys. Don't be fooled into thinking that this kind of love, it just, just happens. I don't even have to plan for this kind of love for my wife. It just happens. I'm a Christian. She's a Christian. We're married. We go to church. This just happens, right? Don't be fooled. This kind of loving leadership um, is to be Christ-centered, is to be God-centered, and, and it, it requi- it's far too lofty a goal for God to just say, you know, I'm just going to put this on autopilot, on cruise control. What? It's not gravity. It's not gravity. This love falls up um, by God's grace and your labor of love in her life. Okay? So don't just assume that you will lovingly lead her this way because you are alive. Okay? Because you are a Christian. Well, because I'm a Christian, this just kind of love just flows from me. (laughs) Don't assume that just because you've read your Bible for 20 days in a row that this love will flow from you. Um, Or especially this, because you see God actually blessing some ministry that you have in other people's lives outside your home, that doesn't mean that this love for your wife will just naturally flow. Trust me. Okay? This kind of loving leadership requires actually discipline from you. It it requires intentionality. I have found this to be true in my marriage. Coasting never benefits my wife. Okay? Okay? So this kind of love requires planning. So don't be fooled. Secondly, don't be foiled. Okay, don't don't be frustrated. Don't be foiled in your plan. You're going to have to actually maybe pick a regular time to actually think about where God has your wife. Um, what are the other things in your life that you actually take time and plan for? Any of you guys in business, you ever like to sit down and just like plan? Yeah. Isn't that shocking? You... you Look what you plan for, and then look what you don't plan for. Is that convicting or what? Oh. Plan, we plan how to make money. We plan how to save money. We plan how to spend money. We plan all kinds of things. We plan our time. We plan our vacations. Um, we plan our, our entertainment. We plan just for about everything that we can think, but we don't plan... Um, to study our wives and to know our wives the way that we should. We just let our husbanding happen. Listen, if you just let your work kind of happen, how long would you work where you work? Guys get fired for stuff like that, don't they? Don't let your wife fire you. That'd be bad. So this kind of love requires planning. So don't be fooled into thinking that you don't have to plan. And, and don't get foiled. Just actually take some time and, and plan. Work that into your regular schedule. Pick a, a day of the week where you, you just take an hour and, and assess where you, you believe your wife is at, where you believe your, your family life is at, where you believe your own soul is at. Just take some time and evaluate. Quentin? What do you recommend doing for after that? Because some people I know can just assess and assess, and assess. Yeah, and never act. Yeah. So That's really good. Does anybody have any of the, you know, people have been married for 30 or longer or whatever? Yeah. And you guys have ideas of how you yeah. do this? You, you plot, but you get beyond assessing into action? Scott, and then Joe. It's inherent in all the things here is that you 
me to have a regular time alone with your wife, where her attention is pointed at you, your attention is pointed at her. There really isn't a lot of else that's competing for you. When your wife knows that you're setting aside time every week, where your main objective is to care for her, that brings you together when you're on the same page to start with. So you can plan together. You can tell her what your plans are, what your observations of her are, what your thoughts are. You can confess to her, you can share with her, you can talk about where you feel like the Lord is leading you, where you're learning the word. If you don't have a time where you're committed to be regularly with your wife alone, a lot of these things can still happen, but it's much more difficult. That's good. Um, if you plan, if you do this planning with her present, it just it, it has built-in accountability because she heard the things that you talked about, and that's good. As guys in the home, we need that. If you sit by yourself and plan, and nobody else hears what you plan, um, depends. It, it all it, it just going to depend what happens, right? Jeff, you have some thoughts. I even wrote some words down. Uh, I've been married 35 years to Jacob Hantless, precious mom. And uh, I, I, I found it, it takes time. We need to go slowly and be in prayer. I need to set the example. And that, that's to say, not say, well, okay, this is how we're going to do this, or this is what you need to do, but put that example out mm-hmm. there ahead and work at it and then plan some more that would be to talk about it and, uh, and then it, it must affect me and then it would be my example and maybe at times my sacrifice mm. so it, it's, it's a lifestyle yeah that's good thank you Jeff all right that's good stuff. Let's um, go on to number four. This kind of love gets practical across all categories of life. I mean, it's such a lofty thing. Um, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And I'm just like, man, can you, there's no greater love ever expressed anywhere in the universe than that lofty love. And yet you've got to live through the nitty gritty of every day. So let's talk about some practical areas. Um, number one, love your wife in... And just um, across, just looking at her spiritual disciplines. When it comes to her spiritual disciplines, um, spiritually, biblically, theologically, love her where she's at. Love her in her growth in godly character, in her service in the body. Um, push, pause, and, and sacrifice some time. Slow down. This is exactly what we're talking about here. Slow down to find out how she's doing. Okay? Um, Find out, don't just conclude, well, this is where I think my wife is strong right now, and this is where I think my wife is weak right now, and therefore I thought about it, therefore I must be right. Actually, ask her, honey, where do you feel spiritually strong right now, and where do you feel spiritually weak? And you'll be surprised what you may hear from her. You may be totally surprised. Um, But push pause, slow down, and find out what she's doing, what she's thinking. Um, ask her. Don't don't just assume that. Oh, I know how to fix that. I know how to I know how to answer that. I fix problems all the time with my work, and so I, I can fix that in you. Ask her the question. 
Honey, how, how do you think I can help you in this where you're weak? Um, get what she's thinking. Um, do you know what your wife is reading? You get this from, from Tom. Tom is the one. Do you know what your wife is reading in her Bible? Do you know what your wife is reading outside of the Bible? Do you think that's where your wife should be reading? Your wife is a, is a, is a godly woman, I'm sure, and, and she is very wise in terms of knowing where she should turn in her Bible to read. I'm not trying to suggest that you should be the one to determine where your wife reads. But um, depending on what you're hearing from your wife and what she's really struggling with, maybe, maybe you'll have an idea of, of another spot she should be reading in Scripture to supplement what she's reading. Um, or maybe she's reading a, um, books that um, are, are really good, helpful, but maybe she needs to read something else that would help her in a particular area where she needs to be. Feel free to suggest those things to your wife and um, participate in that. Um, or if your wife is like mine, she, she listens to sermons, she listens to, like she just, I think, finished re- listening through all of Piper's um, biographies that he did. Um, man, she would come home from, you know, taking the kids to school and, and from going on her walks and stuff that she does, and she would just gush to me what she would hear about, um, you know, Machen, um, Edwards, um, others. is. Uh, encouraging to hear. So know where, where your wife is at. Do, do you know what your wife is praying for? Do you know what's Do you know what's a burden on her heart right now? Do you Do you know how your wife is dealing with her own sin? I mean, we try to help you guys give thoughts to making sure that you're knowing how to deal with your own sin, right? But you live with a woman who sins um, if you're married, and do you, know, do you know how she's dealing with it? And don't just assume you know. Ask her, honey, how are you doing in your thought life when you sin? What do you, what do you think? What, what do you go through? Um, do you know how she's dealing with your sin? Um, ask her. What about your children? If you've got children, how is she dealing with your children's sin? So there's some really just practical ways that I think you can love your wife like Christ loved the church by just asking, pushing pause and asking these kinds of questions. How about number two? Relationships with the children. It, obviously, um, this is for those of you who've got kids. Um, does she have any relationships with any of the kids that are tense or bumpy? Those of you who have older kids, you probably... Um, have noticed that your wife, um, there was like maybe always one of them, one of the kids that could just, that kid knew how to push your wife's buttons in ways that the other ones just didn't, didn't even try. And, and it's almost like your wife with the other kids doesn't even reveal the buttons, but it's like with this one, it's just like they're just, here, push it, you know? Um but do you know, is she having any trouble? Or is, there, is there any relationships that are tense or bumpy? Which relationships are really strong? Which relationships with the kids are, are a blessing to your wife right now? And, and then where do you think God wants those relationships to go? How can you lovingly and, and um, 
How can you lovingly lead her and serve her to help her to get where those relationships need to be? What can you focus on with your time, your specific time with that child, that will be a benefit to your wife when your wife is with that child? I know that when my wife is having um, particular challenges with any one of our kids, I will, in my time with the kid, try to focus on whatever it is in such a way that I build my wife up in their eyes and I help them to see themselves rightly and their role they need to play in it because I want my time with that child to end up being a blessing for my wife and that child. Um, Think on those things. Strategize for those things. It, it, it can happen just by taking the kids to school. You know, offer one day to take the one to school by himself or herself, um, or out for a walk, or go to the park with a little one, and um, just talk. Take advantage of the of the simple times together. Um, have you ever noticed this? Do you need to help your wife maybe humble herself to seek forgiveness from one of your children? Okay. Just like you need to do that, I had to ask forgiveness of my daughter last night for just being harsh towards her. And, um, um, you know, I, I know I need to do that. I have to ask my kids for forgiveness. I sin against my kids. So does your wife. You need to be able to help her go um, and, and do that. However you would like somebody else to come alongside you to see your sin and go reconcile, however you would like that to be done for you, do that for your wife. Okay. What about number three, relationships with parents and in-laws? Um, and by the way, this is shifting landscape um, uh, with, with, with all relationships. Whatever your relationships with what your kids are now when they're younger, the, the landscape's going to change as they get older. And so where your wife was standing really strong at one point, you may find her standing weaker at another point. Same thing with relationships with in-laws. Things will change with her relationship with her mom that you never saw coming. Things will change with her relationship with her dad that you never saw coming. And so where she's strong now, where you don't need to even step in or there's no role for you really, it's just easy to, you just it just happens it seems. There's going to come a time perhaps where it, you're going to need to be much more active than you ever thought you were. So don't be surprised if things change over time. You may need to actually step in and facilitate um, a relationship, help the relationship adjust and grow. Um, You may need to, over time, become a better buffer in a relationship between your wife and somebody in the family, the extended family. You may need to actually protect your wife, um, depending on what's going on. You may actually need, need to just get out of the way of a relationship she has with somebody else in the family. Uh, But you need to be watching those things and be aware of those things. And you may need to help her humble herself to go seek somebody's forgiveness in in your family. And um, however you would want that done for you, do that with her. How about number four, friendships. Love your wife in her friendships. Um, I don't know if your wife is like my wife, but um, my wife is much less open to change in relationships than I am. And I think that's a guy thing in many ways. Um, for my wife, when, when relationships change, it, it's, 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 it can be a, a, a trial. It can be a major adjustment to go through. Uh, relationships coming and going for her are unnatural, troubling even. Um, 
probably more so than for you. Um, are you aware of this in your wife? Do you know what your wife is like? Are you paying attention? Um, does your wife get actually, does she actually get time with other women in the body? Um, or does she just, is she just constantly either taking care of the kids or you? And there's no time for her to be able to get away from her responsibilities there in order to fellowship with other women in the body. Um, sacrifice what's needed so that she can get out there. Um, is there who's your wife sharing the gospel with? Um, ask her. Ask her who the other moms are um, at school or work or the women are, and and write those names down and pray for those those women, uh, those people, so that you can be praying for um, your wife to have a a good relationship with them in the gospel. How about number five? Love her in her fears and her disappointments. Love her in her hopes and her dreams. Um, Listen, you're going to find your wife changing over the years. Um, You're going to find her maturing, obviously, in ways. You know what? You you might see your wife have a setback, spiritually speaking. Um, And so therefore, the things that she fears are going to change over time. Um, the things that she that are disappointments to her might change the things that she hopes in might change you just need to be paying attention don't don't just assume that whatever it was 10 years ago is the same thing today Um, love her by paying attention ask her what are you afraid of honey what are you most afraid of Um, what are you most hopeful for in our family Number six, love her in her temptations. Love her like Christ loved the church in her temptations. The things that she's tempted by are going to change over time. Um, some uh, some things will, you know, like like we all kind of carry some perpetual things that we're tempted by. Anxiety. Okay. Um, and it really doesn't, there's not dramatic shifts in those things for us. They just kind of, we're always fighting that. There are some things that, I mean, look, for, for me, when I was a young Christian, there were things I was tempted by that I'm not tempted by anymore. There are things when I was a young Christian I wasn't tempted by, and now I am tempted by. Things change for me. Things change for your wife. You need to be aware of this. Um, do you know how she's relying on the gospel? to fortify her in her temptations. Do you know these things? Have you asked her, honey, how are you depending on the gospel as you face temptations? Um, How can you help her feel your confidence? Listen, do you ever at times lack confidence in the fact that, I don't know if if I'm ever going to change in this. Do you ever lack confidence? Hello, are you awake? Do you ever... I, I lack confidence. Your wife is going to be the same way. And you know what? When she lacks confidence, let her see you exploding with confidence in the gospel. When she lacks confidence that she's ever going to change, let her see you so abundantly confident in the gospel in this for her. Where she's weak and that you be strong. Let her take refuge under your confidence that you even have. Um, 
Number seven, love her like Christ loved the church in conversations. Um, oh boy, this is, uh, these are, to my shame, my observations in my own marriage. In a conversation, answering fine, good, um, is actually not really helpful for my wife at all. How was your day? Fine. Hey, how'd that, how'd that meeting go? Good. She looks at me like she's, just, she's looking, she's reaching for something to hit me with it. Um, that just didn't serve my wife well. And you know what I find? Here, here's the reality of it. I need to die to my conversation style. I need to die to my conversation style. And I need to plead more with God. Uh, and, and by God's grace, I think I see growth in this in my area, in my life, in this area. Um, I think God has been giving me a heart more for her conversation style. Um, but man, it is so unnatural for me, especially at the end of the day. I mean, we have minimal conversation at the beginning of the day. It's while we're getting the kids ready. And um, that's a more hectic time of day. Um, we're in the kitchen. We're having some conversation together as we're working, getting things ready. Um, by the time I come home, and it's like 5.30 or so, or quarter to 6, um, my mind is spent, and I'm not interested in like really a whole lot of deep conversations, unfortunately. And uh, so it's even all the more easier for me to answer with one word. Fine. Good. And she is eager to hear about whatever it was that happened today. And so there is this, I mean, look, that is a recipe for disaster, is it not? A woman who's ready for adult conversation and a guy who's done with adult conversation. <laughs> I just done. Um, so one of the things that I've, I've tried to think about um, is, okay, as it, and I try to use my time driving home to do this. Sometimes I do it better than other times, but think of your events throughout the day, your meetings, your activities, as if she was supposed to be there with you but couldn't, and then you've got to go report to her. Because um, she wants to know. Um, like she wanted to be there, but she couldn't. And then you have to come home, and you get to come home and tell her everything. Okay? Um, in your day, pay attention to details in conversations. That's what she likes, is details. Um, rehearse them. Look at, look at your, your day through her eyes and come home and, and bless her. And listen, when you come home, don't turn the TV on. Don't turn the computer on. It, shut it off and talk. Talk. It's good. Um, number eight. Love her like Christ loved the church in the area of dates and just special occasions. Um, do you do things or go places that she likes? Or do you just assume that whatever it is that you like to do, she likes? Bowling. <laughs> whatever it is, I don't know what it is. Um, what makes that place in her mind, or that activity in her mind, what makes it special to her? Right? You mean, mean, honey, you don't like Halo? Sorry. I thought that was really special to you. How could I miss that? Um, when was the last time with your wife 
in terms of a date or a special activity, when was the last time you tried something new? This, this for me, I mean, I am such a creature of habit and pattern. I am the worst spontaneous person in the world. If you inject something spontaneous in me, it's going to take me about 15 minutes just to swallow it. Um, my poor wife, she has to deal with this. Um, and I, I'm just not good on that side, and I need to become better on that side. But um, break out of your mold, whatever it is. Or maybe maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you're just Mr. Spontaneity, and you just like on the fly come up with new ideas, and you're constantly doing them, and she's just kind of going with you from one to the other. Maybe, she, does she like that? Does she want some kind of a pattern? Does she want to go do the same thing again because it was so enjoyable, but she doesn't get to do it because you're off to something new? So the point is, ask her. Find out what she's like. Know her. Love her in those ways. Surprise her. Or take the surprise out of it. Whatever's the best for her. Number nine. And by the way, any of you guys, when you want to, when you want to interrupt because you've got something you know that you would want to add, um, feel free to do that, please. Um, love her in the area of finances. Um, does your wife feel safe under your... Um, use of money does your wife feel protected does she feel nurtured does she feel treasured under your management of the finances if you're like me you would probably just want to ask yourself that question in your own mind answer it within the quietness of your own mind and just move on but I encourage you to ask her honey do you What's it like living under my management of the money? Maybe Jesus will come back before you get home and you ask her that today. That'd be good. Um, yeah. Um, read a book on finances together. We've done that um, in the recent past, and that's really helped us a lot, just to be able to interact over that stuff together. How about number 10? Love your wife with meal times. I have found out, and I, and I, I shouldn't be shocked at this, and, um, and I would encourage you guys, if you don't have meal times in your family, like, um, and I'm not saying like there's got to be three a day, and if you don't have three a day with your family, you're in sin. Okay? And I'm not even saying that if you, if you don't have one a day, you're in sin. There's going to be times in your week is like it. Look, I, I ate in the car with my daughter twice this week for dinner because of the way things go sometimes at the end of the semester. Um, so, uh, you know, it, stuff like that happens. But I was shocked to find out as I was listening to um, one of my daughters talking with her friends that her friends never have mealtime, even though everybody's in the house. And if, you're, if you want something to eat, and you, you, you know, the one girl said, hey, mom, I'm, I'm hungry. Well, there's stuff in the fridge. Go get it. Um, I encourage you, mealtime, like dinner, can just be a huge thing for for you, for your wife, for your kids. Um, and as they get older, and all of, any of you guys with, with older and just more kids, the older they get, the more hard, the more challenging it is. You've really got to plan. But if you set a pattern now for it, um, and you know where the path is, you, you'll do a better job of, of getting there. Um Man, I'll tell you what. I brought into my marriage um, my idea of dinners. Okay? 
and it the first night in our apartment after our honeymoon when we actually had a meal that she prepared we weren't eating out anymore because we weren't on our honeymoon anymore I practically destroyed that night because I had been single and, and living by myself for a while um, and even when I was back at home my, we dinner time was miserable nobody talked to anybody in, in my family when we when we ate and so then I'm a single guy and then this girl worked all day to cook her first meal for me we prayed I started eating and I didn't stop until I was done and I looked up and she hadn't even started she hadn't even grabbed a utensil she's just watching me and I was like so so that was wrong so that wasn't good what just happened um, don't bring into meal t- you know maybe maybe you should ask is there anything I bring into meal time that I shouldn't bring into meal time Anyway, but just love her during those times. Ask her what her expectations are. What what do you want at meal times? Number eleven, honey do lists. Specifically plan for whatever is reasonable that week. Um, and guys, whatever you promise to do, do it. Ah, man, I have I have made myself at times in my wife's eye. Uh, to be one who cannot be trusted because I said I was going to do it and I never did it. You know, a squeaky handle, a light bulb. Seek her forgiveness and um, die to yourself. Um, number 12, love her in cleaning up after yourself. Does your wife follow you about the house picking up after you like she does the children or the dog? It ought not be this way. Um, go into a room with your wife, stand there in the room, and say this, in this room, right now, what do you see when you look at it? Because I'll guarantee you what she sees will not be what you see. The pillows aren't fluffed and put where they're supposed to be. Um, Jace's shoes are over there. Um, the remotes did not get put back where they're supposed to be. Um, and this and that, and I'm looking at it and going, this looks great, (laughs) right? It's those little things like that where you can sacrifice yourself in love and clean up after yourself, and and if she's the one who's taking care of it, and why not serve her? Why not put your towel around you, get down and wash your feet that way, okay? Why not? Um, Number 13, love her with your own appearance. Um, This is something that I've noticed in me, um, Have you noticed the difference between your expectations for yourself before you go to work and when you're just going to be at home with nothing special going on? And and look, when you're going to be home and it's going to be a work day, I'm not saying you've got to get up and iron and put on something crisp and sharp and look all good. But um, I think there's something for us to be careful about. When our wives see us get up and take good care of ourselves because we're going to go out there and live before all of those people, but when we're home, we never get up and take care of ourselves because we're going to live before her. At some point, she might draw some conclusions you don't want her to draw conclusions about. And so take care of yourself in that way, just even in your own appearance. Um, consider brushing your teeth when you're home. I don't know. Just... Uh, number 14, love her in waking up and in going to bed. How does your wife like to begin the day? Have you ever asked her? How do you like the day to start? Um, 
we've actually thought through these kinds of things and, and it's been interesting to watch over the years. Um, I'm a morning person, my wife is not. And so she likes it nice and quiet, not a lot of conversation going on in the morning. I can sit there and wake her up and go, honey, guess what? Because my mind's already going and she'll just look at me like, I can't even deal with you right now. I don't, I don't know how to handle all these words coming at me. And so I'll just turn the light on, I'll, I'll kiss her on the cheek, I'll put her Bible on my pillow and I go out the door and I take care of everything out in the house. That's what I do. Ask your wife what she wants and love her that way. At the end of the day, um, I have found in the recent years, especially as, as we've changed in terms of like uh, like our bedtime changes, um, that we've actually had to give thought to how the day ends. My way of ending the day, which would just be like, kids to bed, we prayed, great, uh, go boom. She's like ready to talk. She's got things that she we haven't even been able to talk through the day. And, and, and she's... I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can stay awake for you know this. And so you need to have work in, uh, in talking about these kinds of things. Um, and lastly, obviously, this kind of love is going to include romance and sex. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this, but I, I do want to say a couple of things. Um, in your mind, you probably have equated romance with sex. That whenever there's romance there must be sex. And what I'm saying is you might want to ask your wife if she thinks that way. Um, I know how one woman is. I don't know how all women are. But I've got a hunch that they're similar. That they have a category for where romance can exist but not sex. And that is a learning curve for you and me. Okay? In fact, we would even say sex is romantic. Um, you just might want to ask questions in regards to that. Um, I think I think CJ I think this is in CJ Mahaney's book, um, The Glory of God and Sex. Um, touch her mind, touch her hopes, touch her fears, touch her desires before you touch her body. That's really good counsel. You, you probably need to talk about sex, help each other understand one another. And guys, please do not operate from what you've seen or experienced in the world. Okay? Um, I, think one, I think that's something that maybe the, the, the evangelical church might be guilty of these days is the world obviously makes sex and sensuality the focal point of relationships, right? It's the focal point. It's everything. Um, it would be wrong for the Christians to automatically conclude that there just needs to be a Christian version of that where sex is everything in our relationship too but yeah it's just glorifying to God because sex is not the focal point of your relationship with your wife you don't need to just have a Christian version of the sex focal point that the world has you need to give sex its proper place that God gives it that God's word gives it so you shouldn't put it higher than God puts it and you shouldn't put it lower than God puts it. Your wife shouldn't put it higher. She shouldn't put it lower than God's word puts it. But don't just make the assumption that because the world is crazy about sex, Christians should be crazy with their own Christian version about sex. Um, it is very possible for people to be married and sex not even be a part of their relationship. It, it, it'll happen with age. It can happen with sickness and illness. It can happen with all kinds of things. And that marriage is very intimate. It is very one 
fleshed, and it is glorifying to God. Um, your marriage is, does not exist to make sex the focal point of your life. Guys, I want to say that again. Marriage does not exist for sex to be the focal point of your life. It's not there for you to satisfy yourself sexually. Sex is there to serve its part as a servant in your marriage to glorify God, right? Love her in those ways. Have conversations about it. Lastly, um, if, if Jesus could go to the cross and endure the cross having joy and that self-sacrificial love, guys, we can love our wives and, and be joyful in it. Um, may our wives not see us loving her out of duty. And I'm, I'm sacrificing myself for you, and this is so hard. Jesus didn't even do that at the cross, did he not? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, Hebrews 12, too. We can do that, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these men. I pray, God, that you would help us to become men who could love our wives well. For these who um, are not yet married but want to be God, would you give them lots of wisdom ahead of their time that they could take into their marriages and bless their wives. Um, Father, those who may not ever have a wife, um, I pray, God, that you would give them a a burden to pray um, for the men of the church to be faithful men before you. Thank you for your word and its power. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys, so much for coming today. Thanks for letting me go and finish a few minutes beyond the time. Have a great day.